invite this morning to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I know it says verses 1 to 31. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then verses 25 through 31 this morning. Isaiah chapter 40. And as you turn to Isaiah 40 this morning, uh, we're going to talk again about the importance of incorporating times of silence, quiet, and stillness into our prayer lives. Uh, we started our series looking at how quietness in prayer helps us become people who respond rather than react, because by sitting in the presence of Jesus, we gain his perspective on our lives, and we see that we are safe because he is with us, and that we can therefore act with hope because Jesus is our Savior. And then last Sunday, we saw from 1 Kings 19 how Jesus actually leads us into times of silent prayer by drawing us into his presence so that we can be still and know that he is God and so be given hope and help and wholeness. Uh, like Elijah, Jesus wants us who are weary and heavy laden to come to him and quietly standing in his presence, find rest for our souls. Uh, this morning, I'm going to add another layer. Uh, quietness in prayer doesn't only give us perspective, strength, hope, help, and wholeness, that's all the points from the last two weeks, and refreshment, I guess that's another, that, that, I don't have an H word for that one. Um, you can give me after the service. It doesn't only give us all those things. It also protects us from our own drama. Uh, now I'm going to explain what I mean by that more fully in a moment, but for right now, here's a working definition. By drama, I mean the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual energy we use to try to stop God from giving us trials and trying to make God give us blessings. Uh, we've all been in situations where we want God to spare us from some form of trial that we are in or that we believe we can see coming. Uh, we've all been in situations where we uh, want to make God give us some blessing sooner or maybe more fully than he yet has. And we all know the internal drama, what we might call the emotional storms that arise in our hearts and our lives as we try to get what we want from God right now and how that internal drama becomes external drama that causes uh, pain and impacts our health and impacts our family, our friends, our work, our church. My friends, as we'll see this morning, practicing quietness and prayer protects us from the drama of trying to control Jesus, which the Bible calls idolatry. Being still and knowing that Jesus is God helps us rest in Jesus as we faithfully wait for him to bring change and as we humbly work with him to be faithful in whatever circumstances he brings our way. Uh, I learned this point from Isaiah chapter 40. I mean, really, Isaiah 39 to 41, but there's limits to what we can read and talk about on a Sunday. But in Isaiah 40, God has given Israel bad news, and he's given Israel good news. Uh, there are times of trials that are going to come, and there are times of blessings that are going to come. And having given Israel, God's people, us, both pieces of news, Jesus offers everyone some coaching. Uh, as you'll hear, he calls us who have to hold both the promise of hardship and the promise of blessing, the promise of the cross and the promise of the resurrection together in our lives to reject the drama of idolatry by waiting on the Lord so that we can renew our strength, the strength of our faith 
and the strength of our faithfulness. Uh, my friends, if you're like me, you need this protection against the drama of trying to control Jesus. So let's read Isaiah 40. We'll read 1 through 5, then we'll skip to 25 through 31. And we'll pray, and then we'll reflect more on how the regular practice of quietness and prayer gives us this protection. So Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5 to start, and then jump down to verse 25. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Let's hear God's word. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now let's skip over to verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thus far, the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's ask him to bless us to it this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Thank you that it is life for us and it's our understanding and our wisdom. Father, we very much want to hear and learn how to wait upon you so that we can run and walk with you in the strength of your grace. And so, Father, therefore, we pray that um, you would, through your Spirit now, give us ears to hear your word, minds to understand it, hearts to believe it. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those uh, who are called to hear, receive, and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I know the first thing we need is a little context. So back in chapter 39, Hezekiah, the current king of Israel, he's showing an envoy of Babylon around Jerusalem. And for those who don't know, Babylon is very much an ascendant power during this time. At the moment that Hezekiah is showing this envoy around, the Babylonians uh, have conquered or are in the process of conquering all of Israel's neighbors. And Hezekiah, the text tells us, makes sure to show this envoy from Babylon all the gold, all the silver, all the spices of Jerusalem. And he even, it tells us, shows him his whole armory. So all the weapons that are in Jerusalem. If you wanted to think of this in modern terms, this would be like a country like Poland showing Russia all the reasons to try and conquer it. Uh, here's all the wealth of our whole nation. And by the way, here's where all our armies are stationed and here's where all their weapons are. And would you like to see our launch codes? Um, 
And after this is all done, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and he says, hey, what all did you show him? And Hezekiah says, everything. I showed him everything. As a matter of fact, and I quote, there is not one thing in all the kingdom that I did not show him. And after they're done, Isaiah asks, or Isaiah gives Hezekiah a word from the Lord. And Jesus tells Hezekiah, and he tells Israel, that after Hezekiah dies, Babylon is going to conquer Israel. Hezekiah's sons are going to be shipped away as slaves to the king of Babylon. And all the treasures of Israel, they're going to be taken away to Babylon. And then what does Hezekiah do? Well, at the very end of chapter 39, we're told, this is verse 8, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my day. Uh, now there's some debates about whether or not Hezekiah's response uh, is faithless or faithful. Uh, is Hezekiah callously ignoring the coming suffering of his people and his own children? Or is he wisely trying to rest in the present peace of the world and not fret about future suffering that he can't control? Uh, I tend to think Hezekiah is being amazingly callous. I think, tend to think that as the king, he should act like David and pray for his people. I tend to think that as a father, he should man up and pray for his children and ask for God's mercy. And I think a majority of the people of Israel in Hezekiah's day shared that feeling because immediately after Hezekiah's response, at the very beginning of chapter 40, which we read, Jesus says, and I'll read it again, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So in response to Hezekiah's lack of prayer, and I would say general empathy and concern for other people, including his own children, Jesus steps in with a word. And he tells Israel, with tenderness and with mercy, it'll be okay. I will lead you through this. Your sins are forgiven. And the day is coming when I will repay you double the joy for all of the suffering that you are going to experience. And I know what that verse mean, that that's what those verses mean, because receiving from the Lord's hand double doesn't mean that God has punished you double for your sins. It means that he is going to reward every moment of suffering with twice the amount of peace and joy. The glory that will be yours on the other side of this valley of the shadow of death will be twice as beautiful and wonderful as the mountaintop that you left when I brought you through that valley. And I also know that because these verses are in the past tense. Bible scholars talk about prophetic idiom, uh, which is just when prophets talk about future events like they're already here. So they'll use the past tense to talk about the future because Jesus' mercy is certain. And so we can talk about the future like it's a done deal. We can rely on it. We can live for it. It's a certain thing. And so then here we have two words from God. One word is a word of judgment, trial, and tribulation. Uh, intense pressure is coming. Frustration, fear, worry, anxiety. Change is coming. War is coming. Death is coming. Social upheaval, economic upheaval, 
the life that you live today is not going to be shared by your children. And you are not going to get any help from your leaders in stopping that. That is a dramatic word, right? Jesus actually echoes it sometimes in some of his sermons. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, when false messiahs arise and claim to you to speak in my name, when trials and tribulations come, when your leaders seem inept and, un, and, un, and useless, what do you do? What, that's the question. What do you do when this kind of dramatic word arrives? This is a dramatic word about a dramatic moment. How should Israel respond? How does, how does Israel want to respond? Especially when there's another dramatic word about another dramatic moment. And that's a word of restoration, a word of peace and life and comfort and joy. Receiving double the blessing for each experience of heartache and loss. And Jesus echoes that word too, doesn't he? He tells us, I will eat this meal again with you in the new heavens and the new earth, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But that's not even the, the only promise of blessing that Jesus gives. It's not simply for the, the coming kingdom. Jesus talks about peacemaking now, about reconciliation now, about breaking down the walls of hostility now, about radical, open-hearted hospitality about being at home with each other, not as strangers and aliens, but as family and friends. You see, Israel has two words here, like us. One is a word of trial and tribulation. One is a word of the cross. Another is a word of salvation and restoration. It's a word of resurrection and new life. So how should Israel respond to both these words coming to her at the same moment? Well, what, Israel want, what Jesus wants Israel to do is found in verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, all of us are probably familiar with this passage as a description about John the Baptist's ministry. But after last Sunday's sermon on Elijah being led into the stillness of God's presence in the desert, in the wilderness, I hope you see that there's another layer to this as well. This is not only a prophecy about John the Baptist. This is a call to Israel in her day to meet with Jesus in prayer. To be like Elijah and the psalmist in Psalm 62. To be silent before people so that you can go and be loud with God in prayer. And then to be still in the presence of Jesus. So that as you hold both of these words together in your heart, you can respond without the drama of trying to control Jesus by stopping the coming trial or rushing the coming blessing. And if you look back at verses 4 and 5, you'll see that Jesus says that this way into the desert, this way into his presence will be easy. Verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made Low, uh, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places will become a flat plain. In other words, the walk into God's presence will be easy. There won't be any tripping and falling on the, the rough ground. There won't be any running out of breath as you climb up the mountains. You're not going to trip on the way down the hill and roll down the mountain. It's going to be a straight shot to Jesus, a straight 
easy entrance into his presence. And there, in Jesus' presence, verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I, and I take that to mean, as we talked about in Psalm 62, that the glory of the Lord's faithfulness will be revealed in the lives of Jesus' people in front of the whole world. His faithfulness in tribulation will be revealed in our lives, and his faithfulness in blessings will be revealed in our lives. And it will be revealed in his people when they enter, in, enter prayerfully into communion with God and stand still in the presence of Jesus and receive from him in both situations peace, contentment, hope, security, strength, and refreshment. Uh, what Jesus invites Israel into is a way of holding trial and blessing, uh, frustration and hope, together in our lives, not by rejecting one and rushing the other, but by bringing them both into the presence of Jesus and letting his wisdom and his presence hold them together in our lives for our good. And letting the grace of his presence hold us together as we journey from one to the another, one to the other, and uphold us together as we walk with the God who raises the dead in both of them. That's what Jesus wants us to do. But, and here we come to our second point, that is not always what we want to do. Jesus wants us to come into his presence and be safe. We want to do something else. So, after that invitation into the figurative wilderness, into the presence of Jesus, Jesus actually shifts gears in the whole section I didn't read, but those verses 6 to, the, to 24 and 25 actually picks it up. Uh, all talk about uh, how God wisdom and power meets the lure of idolatry, the lure of idolatry. Uh, now, there's so much I could say here. There's a lot I really want to say about idolatry. But for today, let me just reflect on why Jesus moves from comfort, comfort my people to idolatry, the, to talking about idolatry, to waiting in his presence at the end. Uh, my friends, when we see trials and tribulations on the horizon— or when we're just afraid they're coming. You know, maybe we see or maybe we think we can see. None of us are prophets. The possibility of cultural change in our country or our church or our family. And what these feared cultural changes come fears about our identity. Uh, what's my place in this new culture? Where will I fit in? What will I do? How will I understand myself? How will people understand me? When these kinds of fears arise, what do we want to do? But they don't have to just have to be cultural trials and tribulations. Maybe they're economic trials and tribulations. What if I can't retire when I want to? What if I can never retire? What if I lose my job? What if I have to take a pay cut? How will I feed my family? Maybe they're health-related trials and tribulations. What if I get cancer? What if my kids get sick? What if we're already sick? What if I have COVID Ebola and don't even know it? What then? Uh, maybe they're reputation related. What will people think about me? Maybe they're status related. I'm afraid of not being important anymore. Maybe they're identity related. Sometimes we lose the plot for our own lives and we don't feel like we know who we are anymore and that scares us and it 
terrifies us about going into the future without a sense of self. My friends, when we fear these kinds of things are coming or when they actually do come, we often do two things. We question and we seek control. And by question, I don't mean the psalmist lament, how long, O Lord? By question, I mean we question the wisdom of God, we question the power of God, and we question the goodness of God. We question the wisdom of God, and we think a wise God would not use this to bring this in. This is, this is not how God wants to bring growth in my life or growth to the kingdom. There's got to be a different way, a better way. A powerful God would protect me from this. He would shield me from it. If God were really strong enough, he would have prevented this trial, this tribulation, this pressure from entering my life. And frankly, a good God would never have allowed it in here in the first place. If God were really good, he would know that the best way for me to grow is not to have any kind of experience of suffering, pressure, tribulation, trial. It's for me to just sit back, relax, and have a good time. Um, maybe in light of last, week, last week's sermon, we could call that the questions of a noisy heart. A heart that is full of emotional, spiritual, mental, intellectual drama and is just exploding inside with these questions of God's goodness and his wisdom and his power. Or like I'm calling it today, the, the drama of emotional storms. Now what Jesus has already invited Israel to do is take these storms into his quiet, peaceful presence and find them to be stilled, like when he calmed the storm on the lake. But what Jesus knows we'll be tempted to do instead is turn that internal drama into the external drama of idolatry. And how does that external drama reveal itself? Well, it reveals itself in a lot of noise. And that noise can sound and look completely and totally like sin. Uh, we make noise by manipulating others with sinful uses of our words and emotions because we believe that the idol of emotional control will stop trial and start blessing. If I can badger them enough, if I can be sad in the right way, if I can twist my words, if I can be silent long enough, that will get reality to the way I want it to be. The idol of my own emotional control, it comes out in full display. We make noise by yelling, hitting, being bullies, and th or threatening the use of violence because we believe the idol of strength that will protect us from trial. That will pull down blessings from heaven. If I can be strong enough and impervious enough and, uh, and like, like uh, what's the Wolverine's cause? Adamantium enough. If I can be unbreakable and force my way like a bulldozer through life, I can protect myself from the things that I'm scared of. And those are just a few examples. We could talk as the Bible does and as Jesus does about money as an idol, political power, as an idol, even about the self and our identity as an idol. The world is full of things that can be turned into idols, the Bible says. But my point is, is that when we're afraid of what's coming, or when we have to enter into difficult things, we are tempted to reject Jesus's plans and presence, and instead pick up idols to try and change his plans and bring in the kind of presence that we want right now. And as we all know, the peace and the hope of the kingdom, they are not found down that path. And that's why I'm calling it drama, uh, because that path does not lead to peace and joy and hope. It doesn't produce contentment in all circumstances, like Paul talks about. 
It doesn't pursue justice. It doesn't walk humbly with our God, as Micah talks about. It doesn't build up the kingdom. No, it leads to anxiety, constant worry, exhaustion, broken relationships, pride, isolation, hopelessness, regret, bitterness. Jesus wants to spare us from that noise by bringing us into his presence so that there, quietly waiting on him, he can hold us together with his goodness and quiet the dramatic storms in our heart, but not simply hold us together, also uphold us by his grace. And this last part is very important. We are not called to stillness so that we can suffer in silence. This is not Buddhism. We are called to stillness so that when we leave God's presence, we can do righteousness, as Micah says, so that we can respond to the world as it is with faith in Jesus in a way that proclaims his glory and builds his kingdom and builds it up not only out in the world, but up in our own hearts and up in our lives together. And so here I think it's important to say that uh, when we enter into trials, tribulations, and all that, wanting a new job, wanting security, wanting health, wanting wholeness, wanting to get out of suffering and pain and trial and enter into blessing, those are good things. There is nothing wrong with wanting them. There is nothing wrong with praying for them. As a matter of fact, I think we are called to pray for those things. There's also nothing wrong with taking action to pursue them. But what kind of action? When do you take action? When do you speak? When do you stay silent? When do you say no? And when do you say yes? Those are the questions that help transition us from faithless reactors to faithful responders. Those are the questions that Israel needed to answer. How do we enter into this trial in a way that will keep us close to Jesus? How do we walk well with Jesus in this trial? How do we pursue justice and mercy in exile when we're out of power? How do we teach the faith to our children and grandchildren in this time of struggle? And then when that time of transition does come and we leave uh, the valley of the shadow of death and enter into the mountains of life, how do we enter into that well? How do we enter into blessings in a way that, caught, that actually increases our generosity and our empathy? Unlike Hezekiah, whose experience of blessing left him saying, that sounds good as long as I don't have to suffer. How do we go forward with hope? How do we wait with patience? How do we live together in faithfulness and love and mercy and grace? These are all questions I'm going to try and answer even more fully next week when we look at Jesus' own prayer life. But for today the way the Lord directs us to find answers to those questions, the way that he directed Israel so that we fight idolatry and get these answers is by incorporating silence and stillness into our prayers, by figuratively choosing the silence of the desert where we can take our loud hearts to Jesus so that the goodness and wisdom and grace of his presence can quiet the storms of our heart and we can be still and know that he is God. 
So like Elijah in last week's sermon, we can then go out and act faithfully for Jesus in the world. You remember Elijah? Before he got to the mountain, it was God, kill me. Then he got to the mountain and it was God, I'm afraid they're going to kill me. And then when he left, he was able to go out in courage and confidence because he knew that Jesus was with him. That's what Jesus is inviting his people to here in Isaiah chapter 40. And that's why this passage ends with a promise that the Lord Jesus gives strength to those who wait on him. And waiting and stillness are connected ideas in the Old Testament. See, we all know that the drama of idolatry is exhausting because there is no waiting. It's only doing. I'm afraid and so I act and I push and it's energy and power and constant motion to try and keep everything away that scares me and bring everything good that makes me feel happy. It's exhausting. It's not waiting. It's impatience and it's struggle. The drama of idolatry is exhausting. And so is the drama of worry and the drama of anxiety. Even like we saw last week, undramatic faithful ministry itself can be draining. Faithfulness is hard. Waiting is hard. But verse 31 tells us that the end result of waiting is not exhaustion, but renewed strength. Verse 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a beautiful verse. I think all of us kind of have some familiarity with it, I imagine. Here's my question. Walk, run, and fly where? Why does God want us to walk, run, and fly? He wants us to walk, run, and fly into the future with him, into trial, into blessing, with hope. And why does he want to give us the strength to walk, run, and fly with him? So that we can perform faithful actions. So that we can be merciful even when we are afflicted. So that we can see, seek justice even when we are treated unjustly. So that we can be holy and build, rela build relationships of love together like Jesus does even in a fractured world. So that we can be hospitable with this kind of uh, sacrificial hospitality we've talked about from the New Testament that invites former enemies in and says, I will trust Jesus to make this work because his, he is good and reconciles his people. To be used for prayer. To help us actually enter into his presence when we're scared. To show love. To be faithful to Jesus in a world that calls us to idolatry. To be evangelists who talk about Jesus in a world that can be scary. To, to do ministry. To walk with Jesus in faithfulness is what the still presence of God gives us. And how do we get that strength? By rejecting the drama of idolatry and coming into the presence of Jesus and waiting on him. That's where this figurative strength begins, all the way back in chapter 40, in the figurative desert, in the presence of Jesus where we learn not only how to speak to Jesus, how to be loud with God, but also how to be still and know that he is God. And then from his presence, receive perspective, help, hope, wholeness, rest, and protection against the exhaustion of our own dramatic hearts and our own dramatic idols. 
My friends, if we're going to be strong and active for Jesus, if we're going to reject idolatry and walk faithfully with our God, we need to learn how to wait for him. And we need to learn that in part, and we learn that in part by incorporating times of silence and stillness into our own prayer life. And so again, I encourage you just to take a few times this week. Maybe you're praying about some trial you're in or some fear that's coming, or you're praying about you know, good transitions that you see coming your way. Maybe, you're, maybe you can see yourself exiting the valley of the shadow of death and entering into the, the hills of life. Like whatever it is, after you tell the Lord what you want and what you're afraid of and what's going on in your hearts, when you've exhausted your words, don't just say amen. Simply be silent in his presence for a minute, 30 seconds, and know that he is God. And just see if that doesn't renew your strength by replenishing your trust in Jesus' goodness, mercy, and grace as the living God makes his presence known to you. Because unlike idols, our God is living and active. He will make the way into his presence easy for us. And there he will give us what he promises to give us, rest and strength in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we face both bad news and good news, uh, as we fear difficult changes and long for positive ones, please help us to reject the drama of idolatry by instead bringing our loud hearts into the peaceful stillness of your presence. And as you have promised, please make that journey for us easy so that we can be held together by your grace and also upheld by your mercy, so that we can be given hope in your salvation, helped by your Holy Spirit, and renewed strength through your goodness and love. Father, we want this so that we can live faithfully for you and with you and reveal the glories of your Son to each other and to the world, and so have the kingdom built up in our lives, individually and together in the world. And we pray this all in the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus. Amen.